Hello and welcome to this Intelligence Squared podcast. I'm Farah Jassat. This week we have a brilliant event for you that we hosted on our stage in London this week. We had a group of women of colour speaking on stage about their lives, their achievements, their goals, their dreams and their reflections to their younger selves. It was called Trailblazers, Letters to My Younger Self. And we had a cast of amazing guests who had specifically written and then performed letters that they'd written to their younger selves. Our panel consisted of Eniola Aluko, the sporting director for Aston Villa Women and former professional footballer, Bonnie Greer, the playwright and author, Afwa Hirsch, the journalist and writer, Shapi Korsandi, the comedian, and the panel was chaired by Clara Amfo, the BBC One radio presenter. If you enjoy this episode, please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the episode. What a beautiful, beautiful turnout. Thank you so very much for joining us. Well, yeah, you've seen what it says there. Welcome to Letters to My Younger Self. So my name is Clara Ampho and I'm joined by these four incredible women to go through all of our childhood trauma in a series of letters. It's going to be fantastic. No, but in all seriousness, you know, you know what, well, they do say that youth is wasted on the young and I think sometimes wisdom can be. So I think for all of us today, it's going to be a great chance to sort of talk to our younger selves, impart some knowledge on uh, those young women uh, before, you know, the world sort of hit them with God knows what. And hopefully you guys will walk away with something useful um, as well. I mean, <laughs> it's funny, backstage, we're all just having like a, a little pre-chat and already the word imposter syndrome came up and I wanted to touch on that before we all get into our letters. Every person on this panel has got something valid and important to say. Nobody here is an imposter. Everybody who's come to to hear us speak today, none of you guys are imposters. We've all got our experiences. We've all got our letters to share, essentially. And tonight, you're just going to hear five. So, you know, I hope after this evening, uh, you're encouraged to maybe write letters to your younger selves to help you with some healing, perhaps, or, you know, to help a friend. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? I know I'm feeling a little bit frou-frou and okay, but... <laughs> You, 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 you get what I mean. Um, so first up, we thought we would start with Bonnie Greer. Take it away. This is a letter to my younger self. And unlike probably most of you in this uh, room, I really do have a younger self, a really younger self. So I'm talking to her. I know that you've been brought up very carefully. Your father survived life as a very outspoken boy growing up in rural Mississippi during the Depression. Your mother was the eldest of five. Her father died young. Her mother was alone, and she had to be a responsible young lady, your mother. It was very important for black women and girls to go about meekly, quietly, because the world was so dangerous then. Your neighborhood was dangerous, too. The one you grew up in on the west side of Chicago in the 50s. There wasn't much room in the apartment your father bought for his growing family. You slept on the bottom bunk while your younger sister slept above. She liked to jump out of the bed in the morning. Leap like Superman, she said. You were the dreamer, the imaginer the eldest child and the eldest girl. No time for dreams. And besides, you were no rebel. You adored your mother and wanted to be near her, help her, 
comfort her. So you kept your head down and thoughts to yourself. You said nothing as you lay awake on that bottom bed and heard the gang initiations just outside your window and the gang rape which passed for that initiation. That was confusing as an eight-year-old because it did not sound like pain or fear. Maybe the women were pretending, but you were too young to know. Then Menashe, you were between nine and 10. The doctor told you and your mother that something would happen soon, but your mother hid you. She hid the sanitary pads and your bloody underwear and your pain and your confusion. She hid your uniform skirt with the blood patch behind it because the blood flowed so much and you were too young to take care of yourself. Those big Kotex pads, the embarrassment of it all, and then breasts and having to be quiet, having to develop a persona to hide that self that had so many questions, so many points of view, no space, no room then. Just as a teen, you became an activist as best you could. It was hard and rigid in those days with black people because blackness was being defined. And if you deviated, if you did something different, you were denounced literally in front of people and told not to say a word while a big brother in a big afro and a big beard read out the charges against you. Charges like talking to white people. That was bad. Very bad. But because you've always been interested in what is not you, the foreign, you found a way. It had to be devious. It had to be quiet. It always had to be quiet. You managed to develop this persona which deflated people, made them think you confident and knowing so that you could protect this secret self. You knew enough, felt enough to be able to do that. But these efforts constitute a useless life. Not that your life is useless, never, but your attempts at controlling it are because you are what you are. That sounds like something that Popeye would say, and he's right. I am what I am. There's no going away from that. You cannot change it. You are what you are. So, fall in love with an inappropriate person. Be with him. Be with her. Even though the local branch of the Black Liberation Movement will haul you up to the desk for ridicule, leave your home. Always leave your home because you're not truly grown up unless you do. Mama's apron because whether mama is literally mama or your community or your culture or your country, with love and with gratitude, those ties must be cut. You are alone, not lonely, but alone. Never fear that. Ask yourself every day, am I being myself Am I being myself? There are days that you won't know what that is, and I imagine that this lasts an entire lifetime, and maybe at the moment of death, all might be revealed. But check your authenticity in every situation. 
People may be fools sometimes, but all people know a liar. Deep down in themselves, they know because we all lie. It's a survival mechanism. So if you do it, do it in the name of authenticity to protect or shelter it and also to save another's life. Never be a label. Never be a category. If a young black woman asks you when you're an older woman, a so-called elder, so-called wise in your years and a supposed auntie when the truth is that you're still that wild young searching girl inside but you have to play your part as the elder so you do don't want to scare anybody if this young black woman asks what should I do tell her don't be a black woman tell her not to take the label and jargon of others tell her no matter how well-meaning and maybe even correct onto herself. Find that person called a black woman. You find her. Go on that journey and you have to go alone. You may discover her, this black woman, and more. Say one of your favorite poems every day, like maybe mine, a poem written by a white man who could not show himself in 19th century America because he was a homosexual and he loved being that. He was that. But he hid himself in order to live in peace. But there is no peace from yourself. He was arguably the greatest male poet that America has ever produced. His name was Walt Whitman. And there you go again, free woman, using what cultural studies would call the inappropriate for you. But love what you love and love who you love. And this is what I love. This is me, my core line from a a poem called The Untold Self. The untold want by life and land near granted. Now, voyager, sail thou forth to seek and find. Now, voyager, sail thou forth to seek and find. Sail with no compass out into the open sea. Be brave. I love you, young girl. I love you, younger self. I love you. And you can always call on me. Thank you. Wow. Wow. Intelligence Squared is a tight-knit team doing big things, and it means we're always looking for tools that can help streamline managing tasks. That's why I want to talk to you for a minute about NetSuite. NetSuite provides cloud-based software to get things moving. Maybe your business has been humming, but you can feel things are falling behind a little bit. Or perhaps your team is getting snowed with manual tasks and closing those books is taking forever. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000, 25, 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. 
That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, allowing them to close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs in one efficient system with one source of truth. It means you can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. It's everything you need to grow all in one place. NetSuite is now making an unprecedented offer to make more of that kind of thing possible. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com squared. That's netsuite.com squared to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com squared. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. I will never call you auntie. <laughs> Ever. Again. Um, Bonnie. <laughs> no, really. Uh, Bonnie, thank you so very much for sharing your lesson. Thank, I mean, thank you all for hearing that. Honestly. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Wow. You really took us to your childhood home. I felt I was, I was watching your parents as, as you spoke. I mean, you have, I guess you have the, the most different upbringing from everybody on, on this panel, in the, in the sense of, you know, you were brought up in the south side of Chicago and you were brought up in an era, you know, where you, you experienced people that we, that we read about with so much admiration in, in real time, you know, Martin Luther King, Tony Morrison, James Baldwin. How was it to, to experience those people in real time and find your, your own voice as a young activist, as, as, as a writer? Was, was, it in, was it difficult to find your voice amongst that, and I say this respectfully, amongst that noise? I think I'm, I'm just starting to realize that I, was, I came of age with two different definitions of blackness. There was Dr. King and there was Malcolm. And you went, you had to negotiate between those two and there were contradictions. Um, I grew up in a gang neighborhood. So gang neighborhoods are always the same. They never change. They never change. So what's going on here is exactly the way it was in America 50 years ago. It's, it's no different. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, because my generation gave everybody all the labels... We were the label generation. My generation of women invented the word black with a capital B. We invented black feminists. We invented categories. We invented all these things. I think we made a mistake. But I think this happens when you're young because people were trying to carve out our territory because our older brothers and sisters were going to lunch counters and getting, you know, food dumped on their heads because they were nonviolent and we said we weren't going to be like that. So um, I think in a way we over-labeled everything because we were so busy trying to carve out our space. I was just thinking the other day, one quickly, I knew Fred Hampton, um, 
who's leader of the Chicago Black Panther Party, who was assassinated by the police in his sleep. Um, he was about two months older than me. And I hear people now talking about what Fred Hampton would do. And, you know, everybody has to go on their path, so I don't intervene. But people talk about people like they think they know them. They don't know them. And we all do that. And it's a mistake. Um, and that's the thing I think my generation has done that isn't great. We gave you Trump. And um, <laughs> we did. And we gave you this over-categorization, over-labeling, this judging, this... And it's, I think it's not any good. With, with the discussion on labelling and with the discussion on people um, hurting and, you know, um, us being very quick to say, you're this and you're that and that's that. Um, you know, you recently met with an actor who has caused a lot of controversy. And I, I want you to stress actor. An actor. Very important. Who has yeah. caused a lot of controversy recently um, with his views on, on race. Uh, and politics, and, and you decided to meet with that person. Um, was that, I guess, paying forward this, this wisdom that, you, that, you're, that you've imparted on your, on your younger self? Was that to kind of d dispel the labels that you think we well, put on Well, remember, too? I was on Question Time with Nick Griffith, and I lost a lot of friends because I said I was going to do that. Right. Because I was brought up by a father who had to leave um, Mississippi because he talked too much. And in those days, if you're a black boy and you're growing up in racial segregation, you didn't talk to any, you know, you kept your head down. So I was brought up by a father who said, if somebody wants to talk to you, you talk to them. Uh, and so that's what I did. He asked me a question, a specific question. He heard something I'd said. I answered his question. And that's what it consisted of. And I feel and felt that it was a private conversation, although he asked me on social media because there was no way for him to ask me. So everybody saw it. And uh, there was another person there, but I'm not going to out that person. And um, because I feel, a, you know, private conversation is a private conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, so Chaffee, I'm looking at you like she's like say it, say it, say it. No, go, go, Chaffee. I so want to know who the other person oh, was. Oh no! <laughs> but I'm respecting your yes, yeah, important. Discretion. I mean, that person hasn't come out, <laughs> and 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 he hasn't revealed the person either. So was um, it Nick Griffin? Hmm? <laughs> no, he he asked a question. It wasn't to to, to rap. It was a specific question, and that's why I said that's a good question. And uh, I will talk to you and give you an answer to the best of my ability. And that's exactly what happened. And would younger you be happy? Mm -hmm. Would younger you be happy with, uh, with, that, with that choice? I think the younger me would have tried to change him. I think the younger me would have thought that was my job. And I would have been upset if he had not changed his attitude. The younger me would have done that, yeah. Would have, would have, would have actually spent the whole thing doing this and doing that. And I didn't. But in 2020, you're just trying to listen? 
No, I wasn't listening. I was talking. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't listening. Because I heard it before. Miss Bonnie Gray. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm going to get into mine now. So one thing I know that I've accepted about myself as an adult is that I am a terrible procrastinator. And that's, yeah, shout out to the procrastinator. <laughs> I love that somebody applauded that. Thank you. I feel seen. Thank you. <laughs> but, uh, but in all seriousness, and, and uh, I, yeah, I procrastinate. It's a bad habit of mine. I will always get stuff done. But um, I can I can do things at the I can do things at the last minute. Doesn't mean I don't care. I just I just need to work on being a better adult. Um, and I say this with full disclosure because tonight is about us, you know, speaking our truth, so to speak. I wrote this today, to be honest. <laughs> no, I did. I did. I wrote it today. Um, because, yeah, there's a lot going on. And I just thought, well, look, this is going to be the most true version of what I'm thinking of what I would have told my younger self. So. Here we are. And yeah, how the hell do you follow Bonnie Greer? Here we go. All right. Dear Clara, stop telling yourself that you ain't shit. That you're worthless. That you can't be loved and all the other variables. You've told yourself this consistently and quietly since you can remember You're currently on an escalator in Waterloo and you're hearing these words louder and louder and you're feeling them even more so. You're crying a little, but you're trying to suck it up. These words are not true, by the way, but annoyingly, for your equally impatient and long Gemini ass, (laughs) it's going to take you about another six years to truly understand that they're not true and put it into practice. You will come to accept that although it is imperative to take accountability for your actions as an adult, you cannot continue to punish yourself for the actions of another towards you as a child. To be five years old is a sweet thing. It is to be pure. It is to be full of joy, curious and unconditional with your love. You wanted to be all of those things, and for the most part of your childhood, you were. The loudest in the room, the last one off the afternoon birthday dance party, confident with adults, and ready to shower affection on anyone who would make you their friend. In the quiet, though, between school, sleep, and weekends, that is when the effects of the secret you you keep will kick in. And I'm so very sorry I'm not there to coach you out of it. You will feel in denial. You will feel different. And at times, you will even feel disgusted. But I need to tell you, it's not on you. This shame that you carry has officially become your song. You sing it to deny, you sing it to deny, deny what happened when your mum quizzes you on the incident. You sing it in another room that you excuse yourself to when he or his family comes to the house. You sing it quietly when you know your brother doesn't quite look at you the same way. Or when you're learning about sex in school. You feel different. As you enter your inevitable awkward phase, 
bad hair will happen. <laughs> Do not relax it. You know this now. You now know that those bitches who mocked your lips at school will be about that filler life. You know now that wanting to be validated by a romance is absolutely useless, especially if you don't feel any love for yourself. Again, we can't blame you. We just have to look around. You're in a school where 90% of your classmates don't even look like you. And we've discussed this already, little C. Some of them really don't want you to forget it as well. You haven't quite found the language to articulate what it is. Racist. Um, <laughs> and how this makes you feel. Plus, you stay breaking your back with this terrible secret. It's a lot. Hope is there, though. There is a spark, on, there's a spark in you, and you're going to rely on it to survive. This spark, you can't quite explain it yet. Maybe it's your mother and her years and years of prayers. <laughs> Shout out to WhatsApp, Mama. <laughs> Maybe it's the vision of Lauren, of Whoopi, of Oprah, that imprint on you that makes you think that maybe it is possible. Maybe it's your comfort in local radio. Maybe it's your father's unshakable confidence. Because, dear girl, with all that shit you chat to yourself, this elusive spark will give you a wild belief in your place in the world that you just can't let go of. Now, don't get it twisted and conflate this with loving yourself. That will continue to take its time. Being successful is going to feel great. And yes, it will satisfy that petty part of your personality that you use to defend your tender heart. But guess what? No amount of success will protect you from how some of the world chooses to receive you, black and female. That's going to piss you off. Some days... You will feel ignited by the way the world receives you for those very reasons and you will be blessed with the connection to the people you've been looking for your whole life. Despite the people in your corner or standing opposite, funny enough, it doesn't matter because that kid you spoke about, full of joy, curiosity and now older, with somewhat conditional love, was all you needed. She never left, isn't going anywhere, so watch her grow some more. So yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's it's childhood trauma Tuesday. <laughs> I, I just have one question. I just heard of this the other day. Um, someone asked me this question myself, and I didn't really understand it. But do you feel like an imposter? I oscillate between feeling like I absolutely deserve to be anywhere I want to be. And also thinking, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> so that, yeah. that's what it is. I yeah. Mean. But I think yeah, what I spoke about in the letter is that, is that defiance. I, I don't know. I've just always had this thing that's like, no, no. Carry on. I, I yeah. wonder, because I'm really embracing my foreignness a lot. Mm-hmm. I've always held on to it. Because it lets you kind of stand outside. Do you think this culture makes people like that? 
I think there is something really inherent in the sort of British sensibility about, you know, not getting above your station, not being too big for weeks. In fact, somebody actually tweeted me that the other day. I'd shared an opinion about about how um, crass I thought some people were being about Kobe Bryant's passing, and I thought it was in poor taste. Um, so if, just for context, have you ever found... I will get to the point, I promise you, but for context, um, have you ever found when somebody in the public eye passes away, um, there will be people who may have met them once who will scramble to get that picture from 10 years ago just to post it, just to say, look at me, I knew this person... And there is an insincerity in that, I find. I think, you can, I think in your gut you always know when it's sincere. And so I, I spoke about that. <clears throat> and this, this woman that I don't know, um, she screenshotted my tweet and put it on her Instagram stories and added me to say, oh, Clara, there she goes, getting above her station again, eye roll. And I was just like, okay, getting above my station what do you mean, Radio One? No, um, but uh, I should have said that back actually. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. that's the petty part of my personality that I'm talking about. But I didn't say that. No, but um, can I ask you a question? Clark? Sure. Um, I don't want to fangirl you too much, but one of the things I love about you is that, and I don't know how much people know this about you, but I think you're someone who functions with such integrity. I've seen you, and you don't blow your own trumpet. I've seen you make decisions that oh, too, too, could I even can. compromise your career path based on. <laughs> On your values. So I wanted to ask you, um, do you feel, as you become more successful and more visible, do you feel a pressure to compromise your integrity? And what values do you fall back on that make you stay true to what you believe in? Um, I'm absolutely my father's daughter. I will say that forever. And this isn't in a boo-hoo, woe is me way. My father passed away about five years ago. It'll be five years in March. And he had the most integrity of anyone I've ever met in my life. Excuse me. Suck it up. (laughs) No, but he he really did. And I think I wouldn't... He just carried himself in such a a prideful way um, with so much poise, but everything was so methodical. I I think I, I just inherited that. And I think, you know, I say no to a lot of things. That's how I protect myself. I don't say yes to everything because... I think, you know, doing the type of job that I do, um, there are always going to be arguments about ticking boxes and quota, and you're just there because, again, going back to the know your place, you're only here because, and that can feed into that imposter narrative. I remember when it was first announced that um, I got my job at Radio 1, I was taken over from my friend, Fern Cotton, and you guys are aware aware of Fern, like me and her, you couldn't get two people We are like chalk and cheese. And I remember the very first, one of the very first like negative tweets I got <laughs> was from a guy, and I shit you not, his Twitter handle was at UKIP Mike or UKIP Mike. <laughs> I swear to God. I got no, I saved it on my iPad and I, I still look at it and just laugh. And he was just like, oh, typical, you're just here like, because they're like ticking boxes. Rah, 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 rah. And I, and I had a bit of a back and forth with him because I thought, I'm not going to come back at you with like venom because what's the point? And that's one thing I've learned, I think, when it comes to sort of integrity. Like, don't get me wrong, if you catch me on the wrong day, I will clap back. When I've got time, <laughs> I will tell you about yourself. But, um, but I just, I've, I've learned, I've learned to choose my battles wisely in the professional space, in the social space, because, you know, I've seen, I've seen it and I've had to accept that I think, you know, the way that my opinion will be amplified positively with me or weaponized against me 
is is tenfold, I think, among you know, when compared to my non-black like counterparts. I've just I've noticed it and I've and I've felt it. You know, I, I've said things flippantly that you know that that people in, in who do the exactly same job as me have said, but they look different to me, and it'll be taken in two completely different ways. So I think, yeah, it's just all about yeah choosing your battles wisely. Would David like to hear another letter? Okay, lovely. Well, up next, um, and thank you so, so so very much for coming tonight. By the way, we sincerely appreciate your time. Uh, next up, it's Shafi. Quite nerve-wracking, this, isn't it? I wisecrack for a living. I don't always do... Um... Yourself. <laughs> yeah, don't normally do. Blimey. Right, get on with it. Okay. Hello. <laughs> Here I sit, age 46, writing to you, and you're aged what? 15, 18, 22, or maybe you're 10. If you're 10, let me say, first of all, you have a dog. You have a dog. It's done. She's a golden retriever, and she's a dream come true. You also have two cats. In fact, let me reassure you that your future is chock-a-block full of rabbits, guinea pigs, cats, and dogs. I'm afraid to tell you, though, that squirrel monkey never happened and never will. Let me tell you something else. You're a mum. You have two children, and they give you a deep, joy that you can't express. It's impossible. They give you an excuse to stock Cocoa Pops in your cupboard long into your 40s, and that's just the start. (laughs) Don't worry about teaching your kids anything. They will teach you. That's the way with kids, it turns out. Your job is to carry them and listen. Your boy is 12, and your girl is 6. When they come into your life, adventure truly begins and life becomes technicolor for you. They're both good at maths. You worried they would struggle, but they are both flying. You got D from your maths GCSE. You retook it and got an E. You felt stupid at school. I wish I could step into the past and tell you how clever you actually are. I wish I could tell you that you are dyslexic and you have attention deficit disorder. You find out about dyslexia in your 20s and ADD in your 40s. The relief of that diagnosis will be sweetness mixed with the sadness of the wasted time thinking that you can change yourself by yourself. I'm sorry you didn't find the help you needed in the stupid 80s. Back then you couldn't Google, why can't I finish a task? Now, you have always said, I don't want to be a mother, I want to be a dad. Dads don't have to do the boring stuff. They go to work and come home and just play with the kids. Well, here's some news. Neither of your children's fathers stuck around, so you get to be both. (laughs) 
you. <laughs> I'm trying to be cheery. But you are a single mum. You support both your children financially by yourself. <laughs> your children have different dads. It turns out that all that Disney stuff about happily, happily ever after was bollocks. You were raised to think that once, you, once someone loved you and you loved them, that was it. Marriage and babies, done. But going through your life with another human being with different needs and complexities, with wildly different upbringings and value systems, there's no easy way to say this, but your divorce from your son's father, it breaks you. You will not know how it's possible to be in that much pain and still be alive. You will be a pile of rubble when your son is only two. And you will build yourself. You will rebuild yourself while you raise him. You make a lot of mistakes. Don't beat yourself up about it. As he himself, the wise old owl, says. That's my son, not an actual old owl. <laughs> it made me who I am today. Your, sis- your daughter is six and has never met her father Why and how and what happened will be a story you will share with her when she's older. But until then, it's just your own. Just wait, younger me. Just wait for those times when you're with your children. They give you a reason to stay in. (laughs) They give you a home. Imagining the love and bliss right now is trying to imagine a color that doesn't exist. Just wait. You'll never know a deeper love or a deeper fear and worry They will refuse to wear coats in winter. (laughs) This alone will cause you great anguish. You'd think writing to a younger me, I'll be full of wise advice and cautionary tales, but actually, I want to say thank you. Thank you for plowing through and giving me today. Thank you, 10-year-old me. You made a solemn promise to yourself that you would never, ever have a proper job. I kept that promise. I hope I've done you proud. I promise you the Muppet Show, it's close. To 15-year-old me, I want to say thank you for finding the strength to get away from that awful predator you were infatuated with. The world will open its eyes to people like him and eventually what he did, this grown man, will be called grooming and sexual assault and we will understand that it is a crime. You didn't know this at the time. Do not be hard on yourself. There are quite a few things you're experiencing that you don't yet understand that you can actually release yourself from. Like... You know how it sometimes takes you four hours to leave the house and sometimes you have four showers a day and have to disinfect your hands? Well, that's part of a thing you have called anxiety and OCD. That's short for obsessive compulsive disorder. You'll realize eventually, but it will take some years before help finds you. I'm so proud of you for finding paths while you stumbled around so long in the dark. Hey, some good news. Marriage between people of the same gender is legal now. It's law. (laughs) 
You were so upset after Colin and Barry kissed on EastEnders in 1989 because you became aware of homophobia. You were dismayed when you befriended a gay lad and a girl came up to you in Oliver's coffee shop and told you, if you hang out with him, you're going to catch AIDS and die. People like her are the abnormal ones now. To 18-year-old me, I want to say, I'm really sorry you're finding things hard. You can be so gregarious and talkative, but equally you go into a shell when you're in a situation or with people you don't feel safe with. You'll always feel intimidated by certain people, but in time, you will learn to turn your mind away from people who make you feel bad about yourself. You'll stop giving them your time. But for now, just know I'm so proud of how you carry on regardless. And um, that eating mountains of food and throwing it up, it's a disease. It's an addiction. It can be treated You live in a time where there's no one to tell. But in years to come, many years, I'm afraid, a thing called the internet will be invented and it'll lead you to 12-step support groups which will change your life and make it beautiful beyond your wildest dreams. But 22-year-old me, you are in a fog. Bulimia and anxiety are robbing you. But I sit here, age 46, and I look at you, young and beautiful, standing on a stage telling jokes when you feel so wretched inside your own skin and your head's in chaos and I am so proud of you for trooping on if thank you okay I'm so proud of you for trooping on. If I could reach you now, I would carry you in my arms to a 12-step recovery group. You will get there. Hey, you know what? This is going to really knock your socks off. Today, I don't care if I look pretty or not. Like, I really don't care. Also, (laughs) thank you. Maybe it's because I know that. Um, Also, also, I can have one-night stands and not care if we stay in touch. We do, though, because now I have... Thank you, I am the best. Yeah. (laughs) I only have sex with people who are nice and kind and make me feel good, even if it's just for one night. Here's another thing you won't believe. Recently, a really, um, at, a, at a posh event, a man was really condescending and rude to me. I stood up for myself, but he didn't stop. He carried on being horrid. So I looked him straight in the eye and said, fuck off. <laughs> it was, I can tell you, the most liberating thing. He apologized immediately. So finally, in your 40s, you can stand up to bullies. It's not something you can do right now, but it's okay. I've got your back until you can. You don't believe me now, but being single is a sweet freedom I've only just come to understand. You won't have the confidence to be single for a long time, but when you do, it'll make your time with your kids and your friends and your work more nourishing. Last thing, younger me. The most important thing, I love you. Can you hear me? I completely love you 
inside and out, upside and down, exactly as you are now, today, in all your ages, despite everything you went through and put yourself through for all that you felt lost and bewildered and overwhelmed, I think deep down you know that 46-year-old you who has a house that your jokes bought and, <laughs> and is raising children who are wise and kind and who can gently and politely tell assholes to fuck off <laughs> is already looking after you. She is, I am, do your thing, I've got you. Shafi was the person who said, I feel like an imposter first when we're in the room. And I just thought, like, you're incredible. You know what, you, yeah. you, you opened the door for me. Um, I realized when you, I haven't had what's called a proper job most of my life. And you know why? Because I haven't fucking wanted one. Yeah. And I'm still here. <laughs> so thank you. I'm here. I've never had one. <laughs> Here's not having a, a quote unquote proper job, whatever, however you define that. Shafi, thank you so very much for for sharing that. I mean, there's so much to discuss. I wanted to get into um, how. Um, how you coped with not having a language to describe the things you were going through and not having a, a sort of an immediate sense of community. Because, you know, you describe, you know, like negging, gaslighting, being groomed, assault, eating disorders. Like there's, you, you literally have been through it all. How did, how did you, how did you navigate it at that time without having, because we're, we're so spoilt now. As you say to your younger self, there's going to be this thing called the internet. <laughs> And you can find people. Do you know, it makes me so um, happy when I hang out with younger people who use words like anxiety. I have anxiety issues. I didn't know those words. Um, we didn't know. We didn't talk about mental health. Um, I'm Generation X. We grew up in the 90s. We, know we, we thought that feminism meant matching the boys pint for pint and putting stuff down to experience that were actually really painful. Um, it's not okay to feel shame after a one-night stand. Something's gone awry, mm. you know. And um, it makes me um, feel really happy for younger generations. But the, the thing that um, I struggled the most with um, was not having anyone to talk with uh, about um, bulimia. Even right now, I mean, you saw, I that was really difficult to say it, to talk about it out loud. It's really difficult because all your life, if you do tell people, and even now I know who to talk about it to and who not to because the last thing you want is someone recommending you join sw um, Slimming World. Because um, it's not about, you know, I I've, I've realized that someone who doesn't understand... Um, doesn't need to understand. It's okay for them not to understand. And, and that's what I tell my friends and my partners. It's okay not to understand. And actually, I, I say um, that uh, 
I mean, there's a world of stuff I could talk about. Like when, when I was growing up, we, I grew up, um, you know, I was a child refugee and um, my father's a poet, he's a writer. And so it was very difficult for him to make a living in Britain. And we, we lived under the, the cloud of, of all the politics that was going on in Iran and the revolution. And, you know, the assassins were sent to shoot my dad in London when I was 11 years old. So when I was 11 years old, everything felt so unsafe. You didn't have safety. Um, we had to all go into hiding, and then we came back, and the police told my dad that he has to look, we have to look under our car for bombs. And so my dad would go, what does bomb look like? <laughs> I'm a poet, not a mechanic. <laughs> so all of this stuff was going on, so I retreated, and I never wanted to bother with my... my that thing I say about my son saying to me, it's made me the, the person I am. And I remember, he's saying that to look after me. Mm. And, the, and, you know, that's what children do. We look after our parents. We, we, we don't want to burden our parents. So I couldn't go up to my parents and say, I'm throwing up my food. What should I do? Had I, they would have helped me. But you can't. Some things like that need to be external. And I'm so good for all its horror, the internet. When someone was racist to our family, you know, when people wrote nasty stuff on our front door, you know, go home, pack it, whatever, we thought those people had power. With Twitter, I can write that and there's an avalanche of support. And you see that person that's written a vile message to the tenants of, of the... Te- Did you see this? Oh, God, yeah. The tower block uh, tenants. I can say to my children, the person that wrote that, telling you know, the foreigners to go home, that person doesn't get up with enthusiasm for their day every morning. They don't have a job they love. They don't have people that cuddle them, that love them. This is, this is, they're not in a position of power. We didn't know that as children. And I'm really happy that kids do. And I can't remember your original question. I can't stop talking. Um, no, I, and I, I love to hear you talk. Oh. I love to hear you talk. Um, I did want to ask, actually, um, just culturally, how do you think that affected your navigation through the things that you went through? Um, because, you know, I, I know that, you know, God love her. But if I was to tell my mum, oh, look, I've just eating like like you know five burgers and I throw them all up she'd be like okay let's just pray (laughs) (laughs) do do you know what I mean my mum would say yeah let's just pray maybe you know the 12 steps is all about handing it over so maybe that would have been a good thing um it's right so I oh where shall I start are there any Iranians in the audience okay Persian crew and you'll know that Iranians talk about your weight the way the British talk about the weather. It's a way, like, you'll go and see someone that saw you, like, you know, when you were 10 and now you're 25. And they'll go, oh, I think you've put on weight. <laughs> and then you have to stand there politely where everyone discusses your body shape. And that was really, actually, so damaging and much as I love um, my, uh, you say, I, I speak fluent Farsi, and I think speaking fluent, being bilingual, is the thing that makes me absolutely um, connected to my Iranianness. And I have to find ways. 
my, my son said to me, stop finding ways for us to connect with our Iranian culture. We've got you. And that was a kind How of relief. Again? Huh? How he's, old is he He's again? 12. Right. Do you know what he said to me when I was three? I nearly wrote this in my letter. Um, I, I was going through my divorce and I was um, a monster sometimes through stress. And one day I threw his shoes at the wall. I'll confess, my toddler's shoes, I threw them at the wall because he wouldn't put them on. And he said, age three, you're not angry with me, you're angry with someone else, but only I'm here. Ah! Ah! They do, they do. At three, they see everything. And and you, that is true. And as a writer, you, we spend our lives trying to get back to that three-year-old. Three years old is when the brain is a Three years old is when the brain is at its peak. You can learn any language. You t- no, I'm serious. You talk to a three-year-old properly, they will tell you everything. I'm not joking. And if they can make the words, they can do it. I You're not angry with me. Therapy, that it's day. somebody yeah. else, but I'm, but I'm here. Incredible. Yeah. Our next letter comes from Eni Aliko. Yeah, wow. How do I follow that? That was inspiring, amazing. So I wrote this letter on a yoga and meditation retreat last week in Jamaica. <laughs> As you and, do. Yeah. And uh, we were saying backstage that we, you know, like I don't write anymore. Like it's, you know, I spend half the time on my phone and I'm just busy, 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 busy. So it's been really nice to just write. And we've sort of touched on some of the things I'm going to touch on in my letter about the labels and, you know, the feeling of being an imposter. And uh, that's kind of what I've written to my younger self about. Um, So here goes. I'd rather be the first than one of many. I'd rather be a token. I'd rather be black and pushing for groundbreaking excellence than in the majority and comfortably average. These are the dominant voices in my head now, but they haven't always been very loud. This voice was silent in the mind of my younger self. So now... I write to you with this letter and remind you of the voice I hear now. There are many young, talented women of color that represent my younger self, who, like me, know they have a gift inside them, but are afraid of the labels that come with breaking down barriers and succeeding. She's just a token. She ticks boxes. She's a sellout. So, any, the reality is that you cannot change being a black girl. You cannot change being a black girl that was given the gift of playing football as a five-year-old growing up in Birmingham. You cannot change the fact you enjoyed educating yourself beyond the confines of which society expected you to do so. You cannot change the fact you have worked twice, you have to work twice as hard to achieve with a smaller margin for error than others. These might seem like barriers, but they are all advantages depending on which way you look at them. So use them and use them with pride. As they say now, use them with your chest. (laughs) Try to see all all of these aspects of yourself as advantages and not disadvantages. Opportunities rather than obstacles. When you do, the fear of being first goes away. Unfortunately, others won't see these advantages, but will see only how your race, gender and identity challenges the box stereotypes that come to their mind for what you should be. And beware... These box expectations projected onto you sometimes come from your own race. Sorry, 
And beware, these boxed expectations projected onto you come from all races, even your own. When you were even younger than you are now, I think you settled for acceptance and shut out the sides of you that made you different. You were the only girl in the school football team and loved being one of the lads, but didn't actually realise you were different and didn't embrace that difference. Then when it came to representing England women's football team at 14 years old, you were so scared when you didn't have a British passport that you felt so un-British. You were afraid of your otherness. Fast forward a few years later, I'm proud that you embrace all sides of you at university. Your slight Brummy accent, your Yoruba name, your love of English rich tea biscuits, and your random cravings for for jollof rice. The juxtapositions that lie within, you are awesome and not to be boxed. So let's talk about the boxes. For starters, you cannot be boxed because you are multifaceted. There is a reason why the English language accommodates hyphens to connect multiple words together. If multiple words could fit into a small box and be defined as one, there wouldn't be hyphens to connect them. In the same way, you cannot be defined as one thing. Just a black girl, just a footballer, you are hyphenated with many different aspects to who you are in one. That's awesome. That is unique. That is different. That's indefinable. So when you had the opportunity in 2008 to be the first female footballer to appear at Match of the Day, a football show that has become an institution, I'm proud that you overcame the fear of being called a tick box. You are a young black woman, and you may tick that box for for those that want to see it. You can't help that. However, what you should focus on and control is being the best tick box you can be. That's the way to change it. Because then they see your talent. Then they see your excellence, which shifts the stereotypical expectations they once had. How can you change those labels if you're not ready to be in the position to change it? They may, they may be surprised that the tick box token girl actually knows what she's talking about when analyzing football. But that's great. Life gets more interesting when you are in the position to change perspectives for the better. Imagine if you didn't go on the show. Those perspectives would stay the same. More importantly, being the first is super scary, but you, are, you go up the elevator and get to open the elevator door for others that are just like you. I must warn you, though, you can't just rock up, look pretty, and tick the box. To be the best tick box ever, you have to, have, you have to work hard and aim to be the most prepared person in the room. The responsibility of being the first weighs heavy, but embrace it, because the opportunities are greater on the other side of that responsibility. As you found out, when you went on Match of the Day, you did, the, you did your research all on the latest football teams, headlines, players and coaches. You felt relaxed on the show. You approached it as if you were talking with your friends and colleagues. So they invited you back for the second time. And now I, want you to, I, I write to you, having become the first female footballer to be a pundit for ITV at the Men's World Cup in 2018. I didn't write that to get a clap, but thank you. (laughs) There are now several other women and women of colour in sports media doing their thing with excellence, embracing all the tick box labels thrown at them. They are owning their position, pushing for excellence, changing status quo whilst being the best tick boxes they can ever be. Be ready for the tick box to be thrown at you. But when it is, duck out of its way, stand tall, be prepared and own your mistakes, knowing you can never please everyone when you change the status quo.
There are many that benefit from the, state, from the status quo staying the same. They'll soon be left behind because there are a new generation of women that understand what it takes to realize their dreams, even if they're first, they are the first to achieve it. I wish I had this mindset at your age, but now I do. I thank God that I see these obstacles as opportunities. I'm proud to be part of a generation of women who are using their voice, talent, and their feet to change the world, regardless of the boxes they're seen to tick. Life is so much more interesting when you ignore those labels and reach for what they thought was unreachable. So be the best token and enjoy the ride. Any, I felt the passion. Huh? I felt the passion in your words. <laughs> Look, you, look, this is the whole thing. We're all, we're all speaking from the heart tonight. And I could, yeah. I could almost feel a sense of, and I say it's respectfully, anger in, yeah. in, in, in your words, um, as, well as, as well as joy, celebrating what you've achieved, which is, which is incredible. Um, I wanted to go back to, um, well, yeah, your younger self, because that's why we're here today. Um, when, when did it shift for you? When did you decide I'm not going to be what people expect me to be? Because what, what, what were you doing to make you question your authenticity? Well, um, growing up, I, I just wanted to fit in. That was literally it for mm-hmm. me. Like, I, you know, grew up in Birmingham on a council estate with all these boys who, like, loved me because I was good at football better than them. And I was like, cool, like, this is me. You know, I didn't have any friends that were girls. I told them to call me Eddie rather than any because I just... You know, I didn't like the, the other, the difference, the other. Um, so for the longest time, that was what I just wanted to be. I wanted to fit in that box. Um, and actually, match of the day, going on match of the day, I think was the first time that I was challenged with that. Oh my God, okay, I'm going to be the first to do it. And, you know, I just had a lot of people saying, oh, well, they've only invited you on the show because you tick the box. And we're in an age where they need, you know... The, they kind of need, you know, black women and, um, and the woman on the show. Um, and it was, it was literally like, oh, well, do I not go on the show? Like, am I going to just not go on the show because of that? So I think I was faced with that challenge of saying, okay, everyone's going to say that anyway. Um, but all I can do and all I can control is being the best pundit I can be on the day. I can't change being a black woman. And I think that's, that really released something in me mm-hmm. because I think when you know what's coming, um, and you, you, you mentioned it earlier about, you know, we're in the social media age, you know, it's par for the course. If you're on Twitter and you're, you're a profiled person, you're going to get shit. Like, it's just the way it is. So I think in 2008, that was like the defining moment for me where it was like, okay, I know that, you know, I tick those boxes, but actually, if I go on the show and I do well, that will fall away people will go, actually, she knows what she's talking about. Mm. And that has been the shift. You know, now you're seeing, it's almost become normalised now. You're seeing female footballers on Match the Day, on BT Sport, on Sky. And I'd like to think that I try, I was part of shifting that. Because mm. someone has to do it, right? Someone has to be that first person. Um, so I'm super proud, but that wasn't me when I was younger. Like, I would never have, you know, I would never have been that person because I just wanted to, like, fit in and um, yeah, and you know, yeah, you, you mentioned like you sort of like social media and kind of, uh, 
and go and get to ground. I think that's something we've spoken about today, you know, how social media can be freedom. You know, you can, you can really find your, your tribe on there. And, you know, I think you've been... I think it depends yeah. what social media is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's different... Um, sorry. No, no, no go, go for it. Well, yeah, I think, I think with Twitter, um, I, I find it very toxic. I find the space very toxic. And I think actually toxic sides of everyone come out on Twitter. Whereas I think Instagram is a lot more positive. Um, so I'm also aware of what spaces to say what and post what. And, um, you know, I almost feel like I've got to put a shield on when, I, when I'm typing on Twitter. Like, right, I'm ready, I'm ready. Um, so, but, but it, it's just knowing that that's all going to come. Yeah. You know, as, as a black woman who, you know, was never going to be... English enough, despite having a hundred caps for England, I was never English enough. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, so I, for the longest time, I was trying to be this, like, oh, like England, you know, my name's Eniola Luco, like, you know what I mean? And, and I I have a lot of, you know, respect and love from England fans. I'm, I'm not, I'm not knocking that. But I think sometimes the, the desperation sometimes to fit in, it, 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 it's a problem. Because the minute I started releasing all that, I felt more free in, in who I was and embracing all the different aspects of, of me. When, when you were younger, would, would you have seen, you know, the, the phrase token and ticking a box as a negative? Would you, would you have been pointing the finger oh to, do you think? Oh, my God, yes. I would have been like, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Like, wh- why would I put myself in that position? Whereas now I see it as, like, an opportunity to shift something. And, you know, you, you spoke earlier about, like, you know, saying, saying no to things. And now, in my sort of career, I'm really conscious of, okay, doing... If I'm going to say yes, what is it going to mean? Like, what's the significance of it? Is it shifting something? Is it changing something? And maybe that's why you do see me sort of the first to do this, or the first to do that, because I'm like, yeah, come on. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that there's so many other women that are coming, that are following after. Mm-hmm. Whereas I just wasn't that kid at all. And I guess, I guess when I was writing to my younger self, it was, it was that conversation that like, no, like, you know, take it on as an opportunity, see it, because you can move so much quicker mm. if, you, if you do what other people wouldn't do. Can I, can I just say that, you know, thank you for, um, for your letter. And to be so young, really, to do, to get to where you were. Being an athlete is a very difficult thing anyway. To be a champion athlete is almost impossible. And to be it in a sport where so many people play it is literally impossible. So I have to just applaud you oh, for thank that. Thank you so much. Um, and Bonnie Greer herself. And, I love that. Thank you. And We've actually overran just because, you know, we're having a great time. We're learning, we're sharing, we're talking. Um, we come to our final letter now, and it is from the brilliant Afua Hirsch. The Afua, um, please... Speak to your younger self. <laughs> Thank you, Annie. Thank you. Letter to my younger self. I was watching you today as you sat under a tree, smoking because you wanted so much to fit in, to hide the softness of your still childlike body, the vulnerability of your presence in this world that is exciting yet unpredictable, lacking in the certainty and protectiveness you were lucky enough to grow in during early years. Your friends confronted you on something you had said earlier when you had called yourself black. 
They weren't really comfortable with that label, the baggage it carried, the unfamiliar weight of a history they knew nothing of, the familiar weight of prejudice we all knew of. They were offering you a way out of blackness. Don't worry, they said. We don't really see you as black. You're fine. You're one of us. They were trying to be nice. But never has a friendly gesture felt so poisoned. You don't need anyone's permission for your identity. You are not looking for a way out of the culture, the civilization that you wear every day in your name, the texture of your hair, the smell of your mother's cooking, the inflection of your grandmother's reactions, the, achieve- the achievements of your ancestral revolutionaries. You think they are helping you fit in, but they are offering you belonging on their terms, terms they don't even understand. You aren't even sure if you have the right to be black. You're mixed race after all. Sometimes people say you are lucky to be half white, to have fair skin, a looser curl texture. What about your father, they say. You can't leave him out. You're not sure whether your personality, tastes, your lifestyle is authentic enough to earn the description of blackness. All you know is what you consume. You can't articulate that you don't get to choose. This world has racialized us all. This is how power has been built, distributed and transferred through generations. And soon you will read the words of one of the mothers who most profoundly and directly speaks to you. Something as grotesque as the demonization of an entire race, wrote Toni Morrison, could take root inside the most delicate member of society, a child, the most vulnerable member, a female. You will learn this soon because every day, every night, in secret, you are learning. You read books by black women. You understand the suffering that went before, the innovation, the art and beauty of which they have been custodians. You listen to the sounds of the struggle. You study the history ignored and erased by your school. Your uncles give you magazines about politics in Ghana, Nigeria, Sierra Leone and Cote d'Ivoire, biographies of Malcolm X and Marcus Garvey, You consume them quietly, lest anyone should regard you as a subversive presence in their midst. Your hair is a device. You think you braid it because you like the way it looks. But in truth, it's giving you access to a world whose community you crave. Your hair is bun and cheese instead of sausages and mash. Salons that play TLC instead of Oasis. Shops that dedicate themselves to your needs instead of boots that denies your existence. And when you return, you'll be questioned. How did your hair grow so quickly? How do they do that? How do the ends stay in? How long did it take? How long will it last? And you will navigate the white spaces around you with this history of blackness on your scalp. And you will keep doing this all your life. But so much will change. You will stop shrinking yourself. Avoid imposing yourself in a place that seemed more straightforward without you. You will stop asking yourself whether your ideas can be valid when they have different frames of reference to the others around you. You will learn that being true to who you are in all its facets is the best thing you can offer the world with the work and the energy and the ideas you have to give. You will learn how to respond to the suggestion that you are okay because you are not really black. But most of all, you will realize that your struggle with your own identity is not about you. It's not about your genes, your hair, skin color, or which parents' heritage you prioritize. It's about what you do. 
What causes will you ally yourself with? Will you be silent in the face of injustice? How will you dedicate your work to creating change? What values will you embody until they become a greater part of your being than the sum of your heritage? How will you make yourself useful? Everyone needs a community. Everyone needs a purpose. Sometimes we have to overcome the hurdles that make us wish away our own power before we can learn how to wield it. So own your crisis. Live it fully. One day it will allow you to write words that help others going through their own. But now that it's a means, but know that it's a means to an end, not an end in itself. Your heritage will inspire your strength. It will fix the flux of time and culture from the beginning of humanity into something that you make sense of in your own soul. And this will align you with a mission that sees no race, class, or creed. Once you learn how to master it, you will take all this anguish, searching, self-loathing, and anxiety and convert it into the stamina to challenge unfairness, dishonesty, injustice, and oppression. It will be a journey. It will never be complete. But the joy is in each step you take in the direction towards making things better. And you will do this knowing that all your ancestors on both sides of your history would be proud. Afua, probably one, even though we're still getting to know each other, we mutually fangirl, probably one of the bravest public figures that I know. Thank you. Absolutely. If your younger self knew what um, you would be dealing with professionally (laughs) on a fairly regular basis with people committed to misunderstanding you, do you think you would have taken the same professional path? 100%. 100%. But you know why? Like, this probably sounds strange, and I'm not in any way um, being dismissive of the kind of toxicity that you were referring to on Twitter. I mean, toxic Twitter is kind of omnipresent. Twitter. Twitter. Actually, that sounds a bit... (laughs) But when I was growing up, I... I would have been so thrilled to know that one day I would have the confidence to stand up to people. Mm -hmm. Because when I was growing up, I, and I think like so many of us have said on this stage, I used to shrink myself and I craved the approval of people around me and I avoided confrontation. And the thing is that the things that I find myself engaging in debates about now, I mean, debates is a kind of uh, diplomatic word for them, but um, the, the, the things that are being drawn out now, they were always there. You know, I always sensed them instinctively, but I didn't have a language for them. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the confidence to own them or articulate them. And in a way now, there's like a... I know this sounds counterintuitive, but there's like a transparency. People are revealing themselves on live TV. And, you know, while denying racism, they are performing racism in, in the most obvious way. And so... I know that it's frustrating, it's draining, but once you see it, it becomes a step towards being able to counter it. Mm. So it's a high price to pay. I sometimes feel engaging with that. But at the same time, I think the younger me sensed that we hadn't even got to the step of seeing it. Everything is coded. And I think that's the thing about Britain, you know. We so so kind of perform this politeness. We have such deep denial. We have such a bizarre relationship with our history. 
that there is so much that is never said and we can't even get to changing it until we talk about it. So uh, I think my younger self would be all right with this. (laughs) Can I I ask a question after all? Um, I mean, this has happened to me and I watched it happen to you. It's very interesting. There are about four or five guys in the literary world that, and you know what I'm about to say, okay, um, and they are sent, and actually you know how powerful your work is because if these guys show up to review you, and it's always about, uh, if you're a woman, a black woman, it's always about, A, your anger, uh, always your anger, B, you don't actually know what you're talking about. Um, three, your frivolity, they try to trivialize it. And I've had those four guys on me, and I noticed those four guys. Also, turned of the on apocalypse. You. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't think, like a lot of people know, that there is a cadre of people out there who are literally sicked on black women but, whenever but they But it's walk. really um, one of those examples of the kind of fragility that's going on so for example the times reviewed my book the review of the person who reviewed my book for the times which is the newspaper of record in this country since the 18th century so it's not just a superficial newspaper it's regarded as authoritative so the person who reviewed my book for the times said that um it was all polemic. There was no evidence when I had, I think it was about 450 sources cited in my book. He said that I smoke a lot of weed. I actually had to check with my publisher to make sure that wasn't like a literary phrase that I'd never heard of because there is not a single reference to weed in my book. He hadn't actually read my book. He libeled you. He had, the, he had the audacity to look at me and say, she smokes a lot of weed, and that's what her Slander. book is about. I'm not even making this up. It's just, you know, and it was one of those moments, again, where I was like, there was a weird relief, because if he had been more sophisticated, then it would have been more kind of challenging to count, but he wasn't even engaging. He yeah. wasn't, yeah. And, and this is the thing, you know, I think I can take on anyone when it comes to a debate. If you know, if you if you've done the work and you have a different view, let's talk. I am 100% about that. But when people know nothing, haven't bothered to educate themselves in a basic way, haven't even read your book, and they want to have an argument. And it's about four it. of them. It's just and, four and there guys. Are four of yeah, them. it's only a handful of guys. Bonnie's not exaggerating. These no, four dudes. No, I was on the front page of the Times can I, too. Can I the only what? time I've ever been on there, ever, and it was to slam me by the same forces and it's important to know that when you write they come for you they come for you you know that the equivalent exists in stand-up comedy as well I can so seriously believe that. it's it's there are there are four <laughs> it's weird. and they've been working for years these four um <clears throat> white gentlemen and old and white. they oh, well they're old now um they they have they wield quite a lot of power in forming tastes for comedy because they decide if you're not white you better be political or talk about your background otherwise um you're being i got told willfully apolitical or if her story is to be believed or recently i wrote a book about leaving iran the iranian revolution as a child for a year I, I, I worked on another book and the, uh, 
comment came back from the publisher that, mm, yeah, could she instead write a book about her childhood coming over to Britain and the Iranian Revolution? So they told me to write the book I'd already written. And it's a problem. And I don't know how to hold these people to account because my friend Paul Chowdhury, um, Indian origin, filled Wembley Stadium, right, as a stand-up comedian, right? The only Asian uh, or non-white actor fill, uh, in, British to fill um, anyway. These guys, two of them, wrote in their comments, filled it, they're all Asian and black, though. They actually wrote that... Like, as an audience, doesn't matter, guys, she's not that successful because it's not a real audience, you know. It's, and I don't know how to hold these people to account. And I try. I have meetings with producers. I've spoken to a, 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 a big wig at... You have to name them, first of all, okay? <sighs> they have you know to it's named. Tough. You know what? It's I Brian think. Logan from The Guardian here. You got to name <laughs> Clara. Them. Can I just can I just say actually, you know, um, I'm not sure the the four equivalent work in in football, but I, there's definitely institutional, you know, pressure. If and, and there is that whole, you know, stay in your lane, you know, don't get above your station. But to, to Bonnie's point, um, you know, when I when I was going through a big case with the FA, I think it's well documented. Um, one of the things I did do, and there was journalists that, you know, they, they, they were kind of playing on the stereotypes of me being an angry, you know, black girl that was disruptive to the team. All of it lies. And um, I, I, I went at them. Like, I went at them on Twitter and used the platform to try and right. expose right. the fact That's that, right. I mean, this is ridiculous. That's right. And what I found was people then were attacking those journalists and, and almost standing up for me. Um, and I, I do think that it is about kind of exposing that, that, you, that, you that sort of to. lack of education because these people are powerful, but they're powerfully stupid sometimes. But the, but the problem, they're most of the time. Yeah. But, but the problem is, um, well, the problem I deal with in my work is that I feel as if they still get rewarded for that behavior. So there's a certain uh, morning breakfast show host... <laughs> Naming any names? Who he's he blocked me? Has he's made, blocked me, by the way, has, <laughs> because I named these people. I just okay. almost don't want to lower the tone of this gathering with his I name. I name him. I name him. But em. we all know who he is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the problem is that it's become his brand, right? You kind of roll out a black woman, ideally, but any person of color will do ultimately, and then you just kind of shout at them and. That works. People watch it. People talk about it. And, you know, the, the dilemma I have is that I think it's important for our voices to be in that space. But at the same time, I don't want to legitimize that space. That's not a conversation. Make it's a, a joke setup. out of it. And it joke. shouldn't always be on you as well. Sorry? It shouldn't always be on you. Right. I mean, and now well. there, are, there are, you know, there are more than four of us now, you know. <laughs> um, so, but, but, but all of us experience the same completely unacceptable treatment. Mm. And like you, I say no 99 times out of 100. 
And the reason is that I don't want to send a message to other people watching that. You know what? When you go to work, your boss can talk to you like that or your colleague can talk to you like that. And you should be expected to account for yourself, to justify your existence, to, Just, to provide basic facts. But, but go on question time. Go on these shows and humiliate these people. It's not difficult to do because of what you just said, Afua. They're not intelligent. So but, you, it's easy to humiliate them. And that's our job. <laughs> and on that note... <laughs> And on that note, I am very proud of all the women that our younger selves grew up to be. <laughs> very proud. Um, I genuinely wish we could talk for longer, but we, we've literally run out of time. Thank you so, so, so very much for um, coming this evening. And please, can we salute the wonderful Shafika Beautiful audience. Beautiful Bonnie audience. Greer. You are Ennia Luko. Shout out and to Intelligence Cara Square. Right and big up Gelden. And yeah, thank thank you for thank you for hearing us. I hope you go home and write some letters. <laughs>